Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at Eurograps EXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Gate for January 10th, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all available podcast catchers and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate this show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red boxes to sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Joining alongside, as always, your other host, Case Lowe. And Case, how are you doing this week, man? I'm doing quite well, Mike. I'm glad to be here. I, I would say a more eventful weekend for the two of us in terms of our Gate coverage that we normally get, which was uh, very nice for uh, the amount of people to read the 2022 Definitive Guide to Gate that they did over at VoicesWrestling.com. A lot of a lot of positive feedback, some negative feedback, and I'm just delighted that people read it. So I, I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? You know, I am in the thick of it, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know? Good. Uh, three weeks from the move. Uh, pretty good place with that. Got everything. So, like, I'm doing this, like, test, like, temporary move. Like, I'm already work from home to begin with, so that's fine. And then I'm trying to find, figure things out there. So, I'm like, I'm, I, it's something I'm trying to figure out about, like, how much of my stuff like i live with now like i might become an unintentional minimalist case that might get things might get a little weird with like my everyday carries i feel that certainly fits the general motif that you operate in any ways you don't strike me as a man that owns many many materials other than microphones and canned beans as you prepare for the end of the world you know there's something to be said about cans of beans like I, I I was kind of surprised, uh, Rob Reed, uh, bringing up uh, beans to me a while back, and I was a little confused because they call the Heinz beans in Europe beans with a Z. What was the? Now I love Rob Reed, big darts guy. What was the context of him bringing up beans to you? 
someone was like it, it was like the usual like people talking about pizza someone brought up like weird pizza someone brought up like beans and toast pizza posted a can of beans i'm dumbfounded because in the united states like the like you know the whole chicken frozen chicken wing thing at the grocery right case i mean i know about frozen chicken wings is cool. there more to it than just that they're there yeah because you can't sell chicken wings unless they're full chicken wings in the united states so like a lot of the like uh heat up uh toss in the oven frozen chicken like the chicken wings are supposed to be like chicken wings they're not like fully chicken wings so they have to call it something else so i was wondering if like these beans were not actually beans but no that's just a trademark for the heinz corporation i okay all right i don't understand sorry did i break your brain within the first three minutes of the show this week I have a lot of questions that we're not going to get into right now because there's bigger fish to fry, bigger wings to chicken. I don't I don't know what the appropriate terminology is there. None of what you said just made sense. <laughs> bean, that's chat okay. will, bean chat will continue a different week. I, I don't case. I don't like beans. I, maybe that's I like I think green not beans bean are, guy. I, I think green beans are the worst food. Well, like I mean, like that's the like the thing about the humble legume, you know, I mean. You don't have to go with green beans, man. No, I, I, look, I believe it or not, as somebody that does a wrestling podcast, I struggle with vegetables, but green beans are always a no-go. I can do a Brussels sprout. I can do some cauliflower. I can do some broccoli. I cannot do a green bean. Did y'all grow green beans? Is this like something like back? No. Because like I family <laughs> no. that like they grow green beans and the, and they hate green beans because how much they would have to like can and do all that stuff. No, I I grew up more privileged than having to grow my own green beans. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I'm 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 not a Rockefeller, but we did well enough. There was there was a point <laughs> where I had to go in the backyard and pull some green beans from the ground. I, I you weren't looking to see if you could find the Heinz bean can dented. No, <laughs> correct. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so this week on Open the Voice Gate, we we've got a. Uh, the Dragon Gates 2023 calendar has kicked off. We will be talking about the kickoff show first. The first show of the year was in Osaka Edeon 2. We'll talk about that in a little bit, along with the show the next night in Kyoto, along with a our first YouTube look of the year in Mie. But case first off, we wanted to touch on this off the bat. FSM 50 2022 was released yesterday. Uh, now that I guess that everyone's revealing themselves, I was going to be like, allegedly someone with the same initials might be a part of this but case now that it's kind of out in the open big dragon gate presence we kind of we kind of been talking about this for a while but uh i love the fsm 50 it's one of my favorite things each year and it's cool to see Yes, over at VoicesWrestling.com right now, you can find this. It is the ranking of the 50 best in-ring wrestlers of the year. This is a tradition that goes back to the Fighting Spirit magazine when they would do this, which is why it's called the SFM 50. And when that sees publication a few years ago, Rich and Joe over at VoicesWrestling.com said, hey, why don't we we take this in? This is something we enjoy doing. This is something we want to keep alive. And I'm glad they did. I was not a voter when it was the pure Fighting Spirit magazine, but... Once that moved over to VoicesOfWrestling.com, Alan Forel asked me to join in, and I've been a voter, I think, for three years now, I think since 2020. As for the, 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 the mystery gimmick, look, I remember the email that was sent of should we do this under 
mystery should our names not be revealed and then i remember not responding fast enough to go no why would why would we do that i don't get it and i had to deal with that for two years luckily we've dropped that this year i've been very open about voting in this thing i've been very open about my ballot this is something that i really enjoy doing i treat it as an honor that i i get to vote in this thing and because it came out when we did, we kind of did our 2022 year in review stuff last week. I recommend giving that a listen if you have not heard it, especially if you are looking to dip your toes into the Dragon Gate water this week. But let's, while we're here, let's briefly talk about Dragon Gate's representation of the FSM 50, because I will let you know as a, as a voter, Dragon Gate stirred up a ton of controversy within the voting pool this year. I think we had nine total voters, eight or nine people and not everybody felt as fondly on Drangate this year as people like you and I did. So, Mike, what I'll do here, let me read the names that made the overall 50 list first. We'll have a conversation, and then I will dive into the names that I specifically voted for. Does that sound good? All right. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the names that made the list, there were five Drangate names that made the 50. There was one that was an honorable mention. That honorable mention was Minorita. And then going from number 48, that was Takuma Fujiwara. Number 34 was Dragon Daya. Number 22 was Diamante. Number 15, the current Open the Dreamgate champion, Yuki Oshioka. And number three in the world, according to the SFM 50, the third best wrestler in the world of this past year, Shun Skywalker. Off the bat, initial reactions from you, Mike. I... I, I know Yuki Oshioka is become very uh, divergent. Uh, like there's a lot of divergent opinions about him. But 15th is about as fair as I would probably put him, seeing that you're really talking about the back half there, even though his tag team work was exemplarily, as we talked about last week, Shun getting up to three. That's a... Uh, uh, how bruised up are you right now? I, bruised up? I, I think I'm bricked up. I'm delighted at Shun Skywalker oh, oh, being I was, I was just three. wondering how much of a knockdown drag out this was. I, was, I, I mean, we don't do... We, we don't do webcams here. I didn't know if you're, like, sporting a couple shiners right now. <laughs> no, there was... Look, I mean, th this is what it came down to, was uh, after the initial, like, hey, here's kind of where things stand right now, there was an email that went out of going, wait, fucking Shun... And not, not this verbiage exactly, but like, wait, what? Fucking Shun Skywalker at number three? What, what did I miss? And I sent this person a lengthy list of about 15 or 16 matches that I said, hey, these are above four stars. These five or six here are four and a half or higher. I would recommend giving these a look. So Shun was was of great controversy. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm going to look to see if I can find it in our thread. I don't think I can. Just how many ballots that Shun Skywalker finished on. It looks like he finished on three, uh, four... Uh, five. He finished on five ballots and did quite well on all of them. Top twenty-five, I think, for everybody that voted for him. So, I, I'm look. I'm I'm delighted because I said all year he's the best wrestler in the world, not named Will Osprey. If you go read the list, obviously Will Osprey number one. I think everybody voted number one for him, and then Okada was number two. I I didn't bat an eye at Shun finishing that high. To me, that's the company that he belongs in right now, and I'm happy to see it represented in such a diverse poll. Yeah, I, and I think like that's the overall takeaway is that when you look at a top 10 with people from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, four, 6 promotions, I, I think you'd be pretty happy with the 
with just the variety you have there. Like I, I, I know that there has been a little bit of talk about Lucha with this list this year, but I mean, that's voting electorate. And I mean, sometimes that just happens when you have like nine votes. So yeah, th- th- there was an active effort this year to cover the Joshi scene better because last year, specifically the F4W board, and I don't even think they're wrong, but there was a lot of talk of why are there no Joshis on the list? People know if they've listened to this podcast, I don't watch Modern Joshi. That's more than anything due to time and not having the time nor energy to invest into that. Although I would admit that most of the Modern Joshi fan base I find to be very off-putting in the way that they discuss the wrestlers in the same way that if you're not super in a Drangate, I'm sure I can come across as abrasive and annoying at times, as I'm sure I might have on this list. Lucha, look, I I voted for a handful of Luchadors this year, and one of them was Commander, who I thought surely was going to finish in the top 50. He did not. He was uh, uh, fell off the ballot. Obviously, he held a Vikingo, who, you know, I think is maybe a little bit overrated. He finished there. Uh, Bandito finished in the top 50. And I think that was it. Uh, so again, a, another year where it's tough for Lucha. Atlantis Jr. got some votes, but he did not finish in the top 50. But five Drangi wrestlers, I look at as a win. And again, those wrestlers, Shun, Yoshioka, Diamante, Dragon Daya, and Takuma Fujiwara, I should note in the case of Diamante, where Ashun finished on a handful of ballots and did quite well on all of them, Diamante was somebody who only finished on two. I voted for him uh, at number 13, and then I'm looking to see where the other person, I don't want to out this person uh, that, uh, that voted for Diamante. I don't know if they've made their list public or not, but the other person that voted for Diamante voted him at number 17. So that left us in a position where, hey, not everybody thinks he's a top 50 wrestler, but the ones that do look at him as a top 15, top 20 kind of guy, and thus he finished 22nd on the ballot. And that was a big source of controversy with some people really I just not understanding the impact that Diamante has on this company. Yeah, and I, I could see that if, if you're just watching day, uh, like big shows and maybe Tokyo, that either that could come off that way, whereas... It's the deeper loop shows where I feel like his magic really comes off. Uh, Dragon Die at 34. Uh, one person who I know is a big fan of this list, Dragon Die. Shouts I, out Dragon Die. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I loved your caption there about like him working as a babyface because he really is someone with maybe the exception of Ray Phoenix when Ray Phoenix is not doing like Death Triangle Way of the Hammer stuff. I would say that those two are probably like the best pure baby faces in wrestling right now. But I think Dragon Die, if you're going like the encyclopedia listing for it, you have a little photo of him there before he dyed his hair red. I I mean, look, I've said this on the show. I think I said this during our final gate reveal. I just think he's a perfect wrestler for, for what they ask him to do. He is so consistent. I'll get into my personal list in just a second, but for most of the year, Dio was my second highest ranked Drangate wrestler, and it wasn't until the last literally few days of the year that that changed. So there, there was a ton of controversy into Daya and Yoshioka and their placements, but a little bit of controversy for Shun, a lot of controversy for Diamante, and then we had it out on Takuma Fujiwara as well. There were people saying this is more of an honorable mention guy. He's a rookie. Are we sure he deserves a spot in the top 50? And I... I went to bat. I, I would have been very upset had Fujiwara not finished in the top 50, and that's no disrespect to some of the honorable mention people that finished here, but I just, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around, 
you know, names, even, you know, a, a Minarito or an Atlantis Jr. or a Cash Wheeler, I just have a hard time buying that they had a better year than Takuma Fujiwara. Hiroshi Tanahashi, another one. It, it might sound sacrilege to some people, but in 2022, I thought Takuma Fujiwara was a better wrestler than Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I'm very glad that that was represented in this final list. You know who's the only person on these on this honorable mention list that I would take over uh, Takuma Fujiwara right now with their 2022? Who's that? I think it's Orange Cassidy. You know, I it took me so long to just accept Orange Cassidy for who he is. I like him, but I, he was not a name that I really ever considered for this list. Now, maybe part of that is that I feel like at this point in his career, he does most of his work on Rampage, and I'm admittedly not super up to date with Rampage. But that's interesting you said because he was not a name that I really even thought of. Yeah, I just look at just the variety he had and then how he's really kind of like the feud with pack i felt like was really really good so like i'm naturally predisposed to be like oh this feud's with pack it's not box guy i'm here for it okay i never thought i would enjoy him the way that i do so credit to him i i genuinely find him to be an engaging and interesting wrestler now and i you know three four years ago i just would have not ever expected that but happy for him mike like I said, the names here, Shun, Yoshioka, Diamante, Dragon Diet, Takuma Fujiwara, in your opinion, because I'm assuming if you made a list of the 50 best wrestlers, you would have more than five Dragon Gate wrestlers on that list. Who is the biggest omission in your mind? I probably Jason Lee. Jason Lee over Jackie Funky Kamei. Yeah, I know that's hard hearing for me, right? But I just, but Jason. Jason didn't have a whole lot to do before with like, at, no, he had the whole masquerade storyline. Yeah, no, I would take Jason's 2022 over Jackie's. I'm glad you said that because that seems to be lost in time already, which is odd because yeah. I, so many people enjoyed it. But you go back to February, March, April of last year and the the battle over which unit Jason Lee was going to go to. All of that stuff was excellent. He had a great singles match with Shun. He had some great multi-time. Like he, look, I've said my piece on Jason Lee. I continue to think he's the best junior heavyweight in Japan after seeing Hiromu at Wrestle Kingdom, quite frankly, get shown up by Master Wato. I, I really, you know, the first time on the show where I said that, I said he's the best junior in Japan, barring a healthy Hiromu. And I think I think he's better than Hiromu. I think he peaks higher. I don't think Hiromu has a performance like the Ultimo 35th anniversary tag left in him at this point. He is, to me, the best junior heavyweight in Japan. And until somebody comes in and wows me, that's how it's going to be. Jason Lee finished on my list. He finished 19th. So, Mike, do you mind? I've got 15 wrestlers in Dragon Gate that finished in my top 50. You know, everybody that voted were all fluent in AEW. There are some people that watch a little bit more Lucha, some people that watch a little bit more New Japan. We had some Joshi heavy hitters, some people that were really into Noah this year. I come in as the guy that's going to lean in favor of Drangate, and I finish with 15 guys. Would you mind if I run down these guys real quick with their name and their placement? Oh, please do. So on my list, number two was Shun Skywalker. Number six was Yuki Yoshioka. Number seven, Dragon Daya. Number 13, Diamante. Number 15, Jackie Funky Kamei. Number 19, Jason Lee. Number 21, KZ. Number 23, Takuma Fujiwara. Number 28, Yamato. And I should note, I'm the only person that voted for Yamato, which I thought was pretty surprising. And then 32, UT. 34, SB Kento. 
37 Ishin, 43 Minarita, 45 Madoka Kakuta, and 47 Kai. Your thoughts there? Kai might be a top 35 guy for me. Dude, Kai was, I'm telling you, Kai was fucking great last year. Yeah, like, uh, it's something like Yamato is interesting, the fact that given, I know, the tastes of several of these people, the fact that Yamato still doesn't get, like, the legacy, like, 48th placement kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought he was really good in the States, and although, you know, he's, he's still a very frustrating wrestler, I thought he was great last year. Like, there are Yamato years that I don't enjoy, and there were, you know, high-end matches that obviously did not connect with me, but there was a ton of high-end stuff, whether it was the two Yoshioka singles matches, the aforementioned the rights to Jason Lee, that three-way nine-man match I thought he was great in. There was just a lot of Yamato this year that I liked. Probably the match I liked the most was the one I was in person for of him versus Fred Yehai, but I, I was surprised that he got zero support. Yeah, and I'm like looking at him, at, at least down at the tables at the bottom. I just he went from being 17 last year to completely off. Did he finish 17th last year? He finished 17th last year. I don't even. I got. All, I don't even know if I voted for him. That's very interesting. It, it, you know, the 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 big omissions to me, not getting Jackie Funky Kamei on there. I, I was disappointed by that and Jason Lee, and then. You know, like we kind of talked about last week, I might have had more KZ matches at four stars than any other wrestler in the world last year, and it just didn't feel like his year. This was not a year where the narrative, and it's partially created by you and I in the English-speaking universe, it's it's not a year in which the narrative spun in KZ's favor, and that's amazing because 2022 might have been his single greatest in-ring year ever. Yeah, it it's something that he had so much focus in 2020 and 2021. I kind of figured that he was due a dial-back year, and at least they found a way to do the dial-back year in the greater context of uh, natural vibes and stuff of, like, Jason and then Strong Machine J and then everything that happened with, like, Susumu and Ginky. Like, they managed to keep him as a character first and forefront, but he, he was not put in like the Dreamgate matches because he had a lot of Dreamgate matches over the last few years. My final note before we move on, unless you have anything else to add, I voted L. Lindemann number eight. He finished number nine overall. I was obviously a fan of Lindemann from his debut in 2014 onwards. He was a wrestler that immediately spoke to me. There's been a lot of ups and downs throughout his career. I, I will have a a hard time believing that he'll ever have a better career year than what he did in 2022 as the Gleet world champion. And obviously his work in the super junior tag league and the best of the super juniors tournament in new Japan last year was his year. It was awesome to see. I love the T Hawk match. I love the Erie match. I loved really all of his Gleet defenses. And I, I look forward to seeing how that rain wrapped up with him and Ashita in Osaka, whenever that hits YouTube. Yeah. I, I just don't think he'll be put in a position where you can go and have two completely different kind of like philosophies behind him. Like he was the he was a featured guest in New Japan, and then he had a whole division of the company built around him in Glee. I just don't see that being replicable. No, nor do I. But this is not going to be the week that we get into the nitty gritty of Glee yet again. We did that a few weeks ago. I'm sure in the coming weeks we will do that again because you and I in private have been talking a lot about Glee lately. 
But Mike, let's talk about Dragon Gate. First two, and you know, we'll talk about a third, the house show, but the first two shows of 2023 are in the books. Big picture thoughts on this weekend. So I when they announced these cards, I was initially happy that we didn't that they weren't burning title matches like they have in the past or trying to decide new champions. And then on the other hand, I was happy they weren't doing tournaments. Like they have historically, with the exception, the big glaring ex- exception of the rookie ranking league in 2019, they like throwing useless trios tournaments in the first week of January. So I like that they did on in Osaka, they did the uh, basically, okay, here are our top fighters in the Brave division. Here are the, here's who we think would be like the top under 30 fighters in the Dreamgate division. I liked how they did that for Osaka. And then the next night, I, I I have some things to say about this high-end Associates versus Zebrats three-way series because I came away just like really enjoying it. The rest of the shows I thought were kind of there, but I, I liked the focal points on each night. That's very interesting because I I don't mind a fun little six-man tournament. I certainly wouldn't have minded. I mean, Shun was at America, but if they wanted to do a, a quick triangle gate or a twin gate challenge, I would have enjoyed that. I found these shows to be a little weak now. It, there's no pattern of this. We're coming off of a great final gate show. I expect the two Cork and Hall shows this week, one which will have happened by the time most of you are listening to this. I, I expect them to be phenomenal, but I found these shows to be a little weak. We'll talk about it. Yeah, and they kicked off with the first noise crowd in Osaka since Champion Gate 2020. So half capacity, 500. This was super no vacancy, complete sellout. No more seats being sold there. Uh, so... From there, uh, just just like picture thoughts. Uh, so we're back to now cheering in Osaka. I thought you could notice it. Some matches and some people were more, the fans were more vocal than others. But this one felt more like a noise crowd than what they had at Gate of Destiny in November. I would agree with that. So like Mike said, they capped it at 500 here, super no vacancy, full house. For reference, the last time they were in this building, Osaka number two for a clap crowd that was September 4th of this past year, and they did 597 in that building. It's interesting comparing this number, the 500, to Gleet, who I, who ran this building the next day. And I think they announced 502, but that was with a clap crowd. And so Drangate has shown, hey, you can fit more people in that building, even with the current COVID restrictions. Gleet capped it at, at I think, again, it was like 502. It was just over 500. But for the cheering crowd... They went super no vacancy, full house, 500 people. We talked to somebody who was in the building and they said, uh, and I quote, yes, the chairs are set further apart, which minimizes the number of chairs you can bring. But from being there, every chair was occupied End quote. So uh, to me, starting off the year on a good note business wise. Yeah, I mean, it is the opportunity cost of those 90 seats. I understand in Osaka where it's like, OK, we can bite it here. I just like uh, I, it's something that I think with noise crowds, there's going to have to be consistency and there's just no fiscal reason why an independent promotion should give up over 400 tickets monthly just have cheering. So, I mean, you know, it, it, I always point to Cork and Hall. I expect Drangy to do somewhere in the ballpark of 1100 to 1400 fans for the two individual shows they're running here. So, you know, close to what 3000 for this week in Corkin 
if they're going to run a cheering Corcoran crowd, they have to cap it at 750 or 700. So there, there's no fiscal reason for Dragon Gate to do that. But I'm happy to see them in Osaka. And then in Kyoto, even with the cheering crowd, they actually were up from their most recent Kyoto date. So uh, to me, this is a really strong start to the year for them. Yeah, and it started off with an eight-man tag. It was the complete complement of M3K. That's Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, Azushi Kanda, along with Mochizuki Jr. With Don Fuji and friends. Don Fuji, Naruki Doi, and class of 2022, Kaito Nagano, and Yoshiki Kato. Yoshiki Kato got the win on Mochizuki Jr. with a modified Bloodfall, where, if you don't remember the Bloodfall, that was the cutthroat DVD driver that uh, Shingo Takagi used to do. This one came from his torture rack uh, Cobra Clutch, and he just spiked him in 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Match of the weekend. I, I don't think things got better than this. Not quite notebook for me, but three and three quarters because I thought everybody here crushed it. This is this was a fun way to start the year to think, you know, when when we're talking about this promotion at this time next year and recapping the probably a hundred shows we review and the thousands of matches that we watch. This is one that's going to stick out of my mind. Just, I, I, I thought everything about this clicked. I went three and three quarters on it. Like I said, I was a little lower three and a half up. Yeah. Nothing on this weekend made notebook for me <laughs> whatsoever, but this was one of the, one of the big highlights it's on YouTube into perpetuity. I just thought this was a smart first match with having a crowd. Don Fuji being a madman. Naruki Doi and Don Fuji not being on the same page, get everyone comfortable, get everyone laughing. And then uh, I just like the the vibe of Kaito, Na- uh, uh, of Kaito Nagano with Don Fuji. Because Kaito Nagano, like Don Fuji wants Kaito Nagano's help, but Kaito's small. He, he, he wants help, but he's small. But I actually had a big question about this match in this weekend. And I think I'll ask this here. Yoshiki Kato, he is still a problem. He's still never woken up on the right side of bed. But is he the least refined Dragon Gate uh, rookie in recent memory? Yes. Yes, he absolutely is. I mean, it's probably a battle between he and Shoya Sato, and then you really have to go back to a different generation to talk about guys that don't have that immediately polished on their debut. It's funny... It's funny the way wrestling works. You know, we talk about him being the least polished and yet he's the heaviest push. And I don't feel like he's been exposed. His his evening in Kyoto was certainly a little bit rougher than it was in Osaka. But they have something here and they recognize it. It's it's again, it's so different from what Fujiwara does, so different from what Minorita does, so different from even what Nagano or Jr. does. He sets himself apart from his contemporaries in a way to where even if he is not the fleetest of foot, even if he's really not the most athletic at times, I, I can't question what they're doing because what they're doing, and especially now, I mean, God, for the first time in three years, Mike, I mean, we, we have been doing this podcast as a weekly podcast. We started doing that in March of 2020 when COVID hit, just because of our, our my, my schedule finally cleared up. And I said, hey, let's do this weekly. I, I suddenly have all of this time in my life and we've continued it ever since. We have only analyzed this company on a weekly basis during the era of clap crowds. It's really nice to be able to point to this match and go, you know what? Yoshiki Kanto is rough around the edges. He's not a Fujiwara. He's not a Mochizuki Jr. He's not a Kaito Nagano. He's not this instantly polished wrestler. But you know what? What they're doing with him is working. Yeah, it absolutely works. And that wasn't meant to like throw some water on his fire. It just was something that was just noticed 
first in Osaka, much more in Kyoto. Just he's he, it, it works for him and his character and everything he does there. But it's something that kind of strikes you. You're like, oh, he is not as smooth as everyone else. No, it makes me wonder, and this is pure speculation. I I don't know any of this at all. It makes me wonder if his debut was delayed in an effort to perhaps clean up some of the issues that he might have been having. And for all we know, it worked to some degree. It might not be perfect, but that's the situation that we find ourselves in. Again, I think it's so interesting that he is the guy getting the jetpack here. His chemistry with Junior down the stretch, you know, this match breaks down. There's a lot of really good... Mo- this match is all Mochizuki Jr. versus these four guys. I mean, the, the veteran M2K, M3K side of things did not bring a ton to the table here. There's portions of this match that are Jr. versus Fuji, portions of this match that are Jr. versus Nagano, and then it closes with Jr. versus Kato. And I thought that stuff was electric. And to see Kato definitively get a win against a guy who, you know, yes, his entire story is that his dad is winning these big matches for him, but a win over a former champion, nonetheless, is really interesting to watch unfold. And especially if that former champion is in your class, too. So Kato kind of putting himself in the forefront out of all the rookies with a win like this, I would say. You Completely. Know, singles-wise. Yeah. Completely. No, I, I mean, you have to, just because of his size and his demeanor and the way that he's been handled, you have to put him a nose over Kaito Nagano, and Mochizuki Jr. for as talented as he is, and look, he's not he's not going anywhere. He's going to win a ton of matches in his career, but right now the arrow is pointing up on Kato and it's pointing down on Jr. just in terms of momentum if you're going to do Drangi power rankings. Oh, absolutely. So I, and- real, real quick, I, I could talk about it uh, during the Kyoto show, but I'll mention it here because this was Kato and Nagano together, and I thought this was a better match than what they did in Kyoto. Somebody in the Discord, I think, brought this up. I don't remember who it was. I apologize. But they they threw the idea out there of Nagano and Kato challenging for the Twin Gate belts. Just big picture, do you think that is a realistic match for Champion Gate in Osaka, KZ and Shimizu versus Kato and Nagano for the belts? <sighs> when some people beat some people of station then I'll start considering that possibility. Like, because Junior's still a rookie at the end of the day. Yeah, but a former champion. And, you know, they, they've beat, not the biggest names, but they did what they beat Yoshida and they beat Problem Dragon, which again, you go, oh, well, you know, who cares? But their names, nonetheless, I, I think that's the direction they're headed. Now, I have some big brain thoughts on the Dragon Gate titles that we'll get to a little bit later on in the show. But if I were a betting man, I think there's a very realistic chance we're seeing these guys challenge for the Twin Gate belts in Osaka. I, 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 I'm ready to hear, we'll, we'll get into Osaka, the title situation going to Champion Gate later on. Um, next up on the show, uh, as I accidentally closed that page, next up we had Eita versus Ryu Fuda, and Eita won with a figure four knee, a figure four leg lock in five minutes and 30 seconds, and in case this might have been like my second favorite thing on this show. I was going to say, I love this, but you have the floor. This is your time to to send a love letter to Ata. Ata is going to be the coolest grumpy vet in like 10 years, maybe 15 years. Uh, maybe with his personality, it might be five. But uh, gosh, 
it, it was something where Ato just wanted to show off his new title belt. Ryofuda came in, started kicking him, got a rush. Ato decided, I'm not getting kicked for the next five minutes. I'm taking your knee now. And then just wrecked him, and it ruled. Like, it, this is the kind of stuff that, and this is the edge and the things I see from Ata that, that makes him this just hugely frustrating wrestler at times because he does, like, five minutes of absolute brilliance here, and then he'll just kind of disappear. Well, we're in the same position we were at this time last year with Ata, where he's without a unit. There's a very realistic chance he become a babyface, or he might just hang around, you know, Doi and Kondo and Fuji and whoever else. I, I have no feel for what the next six months of HS career are going to look like. I hope it looks a little bit like this. Th- this was a lot of fun. Like you said, we're a few years away from grumpy veteran Ata, and really it's going to be here before you know it, just given how young this roster is. And this was a very fun preview into the future. Absolutely. So, uh we had, after that, we had a trios match. Ultimo teaming with Natural Vibes, uh, Strong Machine J and Jason Lee versus the unaffiliated Ginky Horikuchi, Punch Tomonaga, and Hoho Luna with Strong Machine J with the Machine Suplex over uh, Punch Tomonaga. This is where this show starts to take a lull in quality. Nothing wrong with this, but also nothing substantial to it. A more spirited version of the usual touch football match because you had Jason and SMJ in there <laughs> and Ultimo came in, you know, when he wanted to, but it was there. But yeah, this is when the, the, the show kind of got a weird vibe. I don't really have a lot to add to this match either. Nor do I. Uh, match four, I don't think we'll have a whole lot either. Uh, the Open Twin Gate champions, KZ and Big Boss Shimizu, had a non-title match between Konamawa Chikawa and Sachi Hoko Boy. Folks, listen, this is the first show of the year. Sometimes they will just have it be very, very low-key, low stakes for 80% of the cards here. That's what this weekend was, really. Like, let's be honest here. But Shimizu won with the giant swing in 5 minutes and 34 seconds. Uh, I mean, about what you expect. Yeah, it's hard to knock the card when you sell every ticket that you can to this show, but this was, again, during the, the, the middle portion of this show. And we ran into this issue in Kyoto as well, where the... the the show started off on a good note, and then, boy, the middle of the show was just a whole bunch of nothing. You know, this weekend, I remember we talked about this in September of, okay, Kento's in America, Estrella's in America, Fujiwara's in Mexico, Yamato's in America, Shun's going to Mexico, or you know, and, and America. This roster's going to get super thin, super fast. I wonder if they can be okay i wonder if they can survive and we never really ran into issues with that outside of maybe a spot show or two when the the first wave of the north american invasion was happening last year but you look at these two shows without shun and without yamato and then without all of the guys that are still abroad and these shows felt a little thin and part of that i was surprised to hear you praise the zebrats versus high-end stuff because to me, it was a real bummer that the final few builds, uh, build matches to that unit dispense match were without Yamato. And, and this, these two shows were missing, I thought, greatly Shun Skywalker and Yamato. Yeah, and at least in Osaka, this next match, uh, it's a five-man tag, high and associates, uh, DK, Yoshida, Problem Dragon, uh, Zebrats, Kai, BB Hulk, and Ishin. This one match, I would say, had the most road to energy out of any match in Dragon Gate in recent memory. There's a moment in this match where Takashi Yoshida comes in 
with the hot tag and he goes after BB Hulk and Kai and I rank Kai as the 47th best re- best wrestler in the world last year. I've praised Takashi Yoshida a lot. BB Hulk is an inoffensive wrestler, but that was not the Dragon Gate that I fell in love with. That was a little hard to watch. Yeah, Ishan looked all right here, though. Like, that's my positive here. Every thorn has a rose attached to it case, and Ishan was the rose here. I've enjoyed every single all-caps Ishan match. I think he is super, super compelling. Yeah, so if you're watching the whole show and you're watching this match, just keep an eye on Ishan. That's where you'll get your enjoyment there. Then we got into the New Year's Dream special tag team match, Bravery, where the four top contenders in the Brave Gate division, including the Open the Brave Gate champion, Minorita, enter a lottery to decide sides here. The sides were Dragon Diet and Minorita versus Hio and Jackie Funky Kamei. The result was Minorita stealing the win when Dragon Daya was going for likely a Firebird splash. Hio was down on the mat ready to eat a eat a splash in the one, two, three. But Minori decided he won the one himself and he got it with the Minori Tanic in 11 minutes and 58 seconds. Few different directions we can talk about this match in. I think one notably Minorita pins Hio again after beating him at Final Gate for the belt. That seems to put that story in the rear view. I think Minorita and Hyo are done for the time being. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Hyo first with the bell bombs, now shaving the face. He's going through it. Second, we're seemingly setting up Minorita versus Dragon Daya here. And this is sort of the issue that I discussed when Minorita won the belt is, hey, he deserved it. I'm happy for him. He was phenomenal in 2022. But he... Is Minorita and beating certain guys is going to be a bit of an uphill battle just in terms of keeping whoever he beats looking strong? Dragon Daya is the textbook example of that. Do you see a scenario in which they have Minorita pin Dragon Daya in a singles match? Yes, I do. Uh, clean? There we get into a discussion. Uh, hmm. Does Minorita have to work heel against Dragon Daya? I feel like he kind of has to. I mean, it's Dragon Daya. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at as well. I would look. I would love to see it flip just to see if Dragon Daya can be a compelling heel. But that's that's the issue that we're going to run into here. That's why I think it's going to be a short Brave Gate run, and I I you know I almost hope so, just because I don't think Minorita needs the belt for a long time. But that is an interesting match, just in terms of how much they get behind Minorita. Clearly, they've gotten behind him to some degree because, Mike, we have a new Open the Brave Gate championship design. That is true. So in the uh, post-match, Rio Saito had a New Year's present. The general manager, you know, he he, he is forward-thinking, and he looked at the Open the Brave Gate title belt case, and he noticed a problem. Do you know what that problem was? Too big. Yep, this belt's too big for Menorita. So what did he do? Well, he found a what looks like to be a, a toy, like, uh, so Sendai, uh, so Sentai is like robot fighting shows. Like that's what Power Rangers was based off of. But like the big one is Common Rider, and people are saying, "Oh, that's a Common Rider wristband." That is a new open the break title belt. That's just for Minorita. It's so small he can't even wrap it around his waist. I, I, this is one of my favorite things I've ever done. I laughed. He's so, so happy hard. about oh, it. Oh my god! It, this is this is why I love this promotion because it's. 
it's so easy for this to be hokey and like bad slapstick comedy, but it feels like it's done in the most genuine way possible. It's they lean into the bit completely and it's just so great. And then Arita is so happy about this title belt, at least in Osaka. Kyoto, you could tell that, you know, the, 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 this joke might have a short shelf life. My other sort of talking point here, you know, Minorita is going to have the new belt. Possibly Minorita versus Dio were done seemingly with Minorita versus Hyo. I just kind of thought this match was okay. And I'm curious as to where you stand on it from an in-ring perspective. Do I have long-term concerns that, you know, these guys aren't going to be able to find their footing in the new year? No, I do not. But I kind of had this circle as a match that I thought should have been great. And it just wasn't to me. I think I might have been a little higher than you. It was three and a half. Uh, I thought I really liked the uh, the face off of Jackie and Minorita. Now, now JFK finally has someone small enough that he can bully them around a little bit. That was like that that got a little laugh out of it. But I, I'll say this: I'm glad you said that because I have in my notes the opening sequence between Jackie and Minorita was, and I have this in all caps, flawless. And then yeah. everything everything after that I thought went downhill. To me, this was a three star match. An intriguing finish, you know, that certainly got the point across. That's more important than just having a really good match. But I just expected more from these guys. Yeah, and I think that kind of continues on to the main event, to be honest. Yeah, so, let's talk about it. Yeah, so the open... Uh, so, so, it's not open the Dream Gate match. That's uh, that's on Thursday. Uh, the New Year's Dream Special Tag Team Match, Dreams. So these are the Open the Dream Gate champion, Yuki Yoshioka, and who GM Rio Saito... Con- uh, consider the top three contenders under the age of 30, those being Kota Minora, Madoka Kakuda, and Diamante. Apparently, Diamante has a birthday coming up, so he's going to turn 30. He wouldn't qualify after that, but the sides were drawn like the New Year's, uh, the Brave Gate match that they had. So it was Yuki Oshioka teaming with Kota Minora versus Madoka Kakuda and Diamante. So D Courage on opposite sides. However, as Madoka Kakuda getting the win with the snap pile driver in 1529 on Menora. Okay, my first takeaway here. I want to kind of discuss everybody individually. Kota Menora. I thought he disappeared on this match. This was such a step in the wrong direction. We'll talk about it again in Kyoto. We came away from Final Gate. Obviously, he had the roughest 2022 of anybody tanking the biggest weekend of the year. But we came away from Final Gate. He has this great match with Diamante. We think, okay, all right, the wheels are back in motion. Here we go. Coach Menora, he's a future Dreamgate champion. He's going to be back in the main event mix. Everything's going to be okay. And I thought this was a match between three guys. I don't remember a thing that Menora did in this match. Were, were you as taken aback by how he just didn't feel like he was on the same level as these guys as I was? So I don't because I think that we're going to see the pullback on Coach Menora. I talked about that last few weeks i i i into i had a feeling that menorah is just kind of kind of be there a little bit right now so the fact that he disappeared like it was noticeable that he disappeared in this match like i do remember him in the closing stretch because there was a hand of god coming out of the gong that was pretty tight that I wrote down but that's my only note about him i have in this match I guess as I look through the roster, you know, the, the other name that I forgot to mention, Ben was also gone, and that that really steals some thunder when Ben Case as hot as he is, and he spent the weekend over in MLW, the, the world that never stops in the ECW arena. But 
I, I don't know. Would this match have been better off with Ishin in it? You know, would this match have been better off with he would have felt out of place, but maybe Strong Machine J? It, it just, it kind of, I raised my eyebrows when I saw Minora included in this match because it seemed like he was being pushed a little bit above his recent pay grade. And then once I saw the names, I kind of, I got a little nervous and I thought, oh no, are they going to go back to Minora versus Yoki, Yoshioka? You know, you got to remember his first defense during this great title run was against Minora, which luckily sort of moved him out of the picture as Yoshioka went on to challenge former Dreamgate champions. But when I saw the 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 listing, I said, hmm, maybe maybe they're really committed to Minora and want to get back to him already. But I thought he was just a non-entity in this match in a way that was stunning to me, quite frankly. Yeah, it was noticeable. It was really, really noticeable, I'd say. Uh, I, I guess like the only other big thing coming out of this match, though, is Diamante tweaked his knee. It was in the closing minutes, I... Tried to pick up immediately. He came down, basically, around it looked like. He was off the shows. He has tweeted since that he doesn't anticipate this to be a long-term injury, but does seem like that we should figure him out of whatever happens tomorrow at Corken Hall. So that's going to be the interesting thing. It, it, to me, it looked like he hurt his knee the same way, oddly enough, that Yuki Yoshioka hurt his knee in 2018, which was he was taking a German suplex and he flipped onto his feet. And that seems to be a way that Drangate wrestlers get injured. For the machines that they are, they are not tough enough to withstand the flipping onto your feet out of a German suplex. I believe that's where Diamante got hurt in this match. We are recording this Tuesday night. There's a Cork and Hall show Wednesday morning with the Zebrats versus high-end unit disbands match. As of the time we're recording this, it is listed as something along the lines of a full unit battle, and the rules will be determined at another time. And I am simply assuming that is because they are waiting to know whether or not Diamante is cleared. It, it's a bummer that he was hurt because on the house show, on that January 9th house show, it was initially him and Ishin versus Kato and Nagano. And that got turned into an Ishin versus Nagano singles match, which was very good. But he got wiped off of Kyoto and the My house show. And it's a bummer. You know, this is somebody who I don't want to miss any time because I think he's show in show out one of the most compelling wrestlers on the roster yeah no it's a it, it's a loss regardless especially considering how we all were uh, kind of seeing like a big start of 2023 for him and hopefully it's just just a tweak like he's saying uh also someone who a pre who noticed the sfm 50 diamante yes thank you very much diamante that was a nice to uh see him read my words i, I also want to talk about kakuta who I just, I think he's so impressive. And this was a good weekend for him. This was a, a down weekend for a number of wrestlers. Madoka Kakuta, not one of them. I thought the interaction with him and Yoshioka was particularly really strong. The only issue that I have is that I thought the pile driver that he hit for the finish looked incredibly weak, but everything leading up to that, I thought he was excellent at in. Yeah, no, uh, my note for the next night, but we, I can talk about it here since you're brought up. Uh, Working with Shingo Takagi has not rubbed off on it, or the, the after effects have not rubbed off yet. He still has that power, we're saying. And that's nice to see. You know, that that was something that if we like talked about what we would what do we really want to see coming into January, I wanted to see Kakuda pick up keep up that momentum he got out of Final Gate. And I feel like the he's really ever since Final Gate, he's kept it up. And I thought that's been pretty impressive. Can we go back to Coach Manor for a second? Always. I'm really, 
I'm so intrigued by this. And it reminds me, his current situation reminds me of 2018 Ata. And in writing and on this time, at, at, on this show at the time, I was talking about how the greatest thing to happen to Ata's career was that Pac came in because Antios was not working out. And for as great as R.E.D. became, there was this weird feeling that the unit had when Pac wasn't there. When Pac was there, he was the clear leader and it was great. And then he would go away for a little bit and Ata would would resume his role as that top spot. And it just never... It never felt quite right. It wasn't until Pac lost the belt and went away. That's when it seemed like it was finally the moment for Ata to lead this heel unit they've been trying to get him to lead for so long. That relationship is is there with Ben K and, and Coach Minora to some extent now, where Ben K is very much in the Pac role, where when he's around, he is the top dog and he feels like the leader. And Coach Minora feels very much secondary which is troubling. That is not, they're looking for more of a 1A and a 1B there, and they're getting a definitive 1 and 2. And it hurts especially when the Ben K Minorito relationship is possibly already stronger than Minora and Minorita ever were. There's just a lot of Ben K eating his lunch right now. And I say this as one of the most vocal Kota Minora supporters there's been since his debut. I'm concerned. Uh, this weekend was not the sign of approval that everything is going to be okay that I was looking for. This was a rough weekend for this guy, and it was without Ben K in the picture. I worry that Ben K is going to come back and all eyes are going to go to him, and Manor is just going to lose all momentum that he had. Shouldn't he, though? I mean, I really think he needs that reset still. And if it's the fact that, you know more charismatic people are kind of overriding him and the unit that's supposed to be about him. I mean, so be it at this point. I mean, it, it, I, not to say, I'm not completely writing him off to be clear before anyone's like, Oh, Mike's writing off Kota Minora. I'm not. I just think that we've seen that this is a company sometimes that when the, when you kind of completely shove a young star down the throats, the fans reject. And I'm hoping that they, took the lesson from July 31st and decided, uh, let's put, he, he's 23. We don't need to push him to the moon immediately. But wasn't the icing that he received from August through December, wasn't that sort of what we were looking at as the cooldown period? I assumed he would springboard off of that Diamante match into bigger and better things. And that seemed to be the goal, mind you, because he was in the main event of one night and a featured singles match in the other. I just happen to think that he was bad in both of those matches. Then I, I, I think an, a discussion should be made about this slide actually, if, or this cooling off actually affecting in ring. If, if this continues like this, because I do see what you're saying entirely. Yeah. To me, that that's the concern because they put their ducks in a row here. They had this as, the return to form Minora weekend. When you look at it on paper, a main event one night featured singles match the next. It's just that he didn't, he didn't show up basically. And that, that is extremely concerning because even for as little as he was emphasized in the booking, the last five months of the year, when you go back, he is just, he is not featured at all for a little bit, which is exactly what they had to do. They had, they basically had to put him in witness protection, get him out of the spotlight. They, I thought they handled all of that right. It's just, it's concerning when 
they usher him back into the spot and it's immediately, it just doesn't feel right. He doesn't feel like he's on the level of a Diamante or especially a Kakuta and a Yoshioka. Yeah, it, it, it does definitely feel like that whatever he he had is died off right now. And it's just waiting to see, at least for me, I think that maybe he, I would, I mean, I would think about keeping him not necessarily sidelined, but being a supporting player up until King of Gate, to be honest. I think you're right there. That is the Osaka show. I would say watch the opener, watch the main event. I went three and a half stars in the main event. Anything else I found to be pretty skippable. Yeah. Oh, watch Ata versus Rio. It's, it's five minutes, right? Watch Ata versus Fuda. It's fun. Yeah, no. If a match is under 10 minutes and it's fun, then I think you should find 10 minutes to watch it, just in general. Well put. Yep, let's get on to Kyoto. This is a... Attendance was up in Kyoto. It is something that I I have noticed this now case for several months or several appearances in Kyoto. I wish they would move where the camera is. I really would. I, I love seeing the, the stained glass, but always the left side, left hard cam side, next to the entrances, that's always the most empty place at that venue. And it looks ranky dink. That, 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 that's a personal thing, though. I think that's fair. I think this is one of those buildings. I almost wish it wasn't on the regular TV loop. I, I, I wish they would run Nagoya more and have that air on the network and then have the Kyoto shows uh, be the YouTube uploads because I think this building would look so much better with a handheld camera on the floor than the hard cam just facing the stained glass. Okay, so, so, so well, we're in agreement for different reasons here. Because, yeah, because like the full production version of the KBS hallway, they have the floor crank cams. It always looks a lot better. It is so weird that so many promotions have run this venue over the years with the hard cam on the stained glass window side. That is bizarre to me. It, I think everyone just knows that, that, that this is a stained glass venue, so they feel like they have to have it in the shot at all times. But, yeah, or, but, or it but could be something where promo- promotions is. didn't used to do that. I guess it could be a lighting issue. Sorry to cut you off there. You, you could be right. But I, I think there's a Mochizuki. Uh, I think it's Mochizuki Rio Saito from 2011. There's a Mochizuki Dreamgate match in this building. I'm pretty sure. Or at least there's a there's a big Mochizuki match in this building from 2011. That I know for sure. But you don't even see the stained glass. The camera's facing the opposite direction that is bizarre to me that i will never understand yeah no and and, and then there's some promotions they'll put up a uh a, a screen to project stuff onto in front of this thing glass. yeah for sure this was uh a show i should note like i said uh you know this was a vocal audience 326 fans in the building here that is with the 50 percent capacity restrictions the last time they ran here, December 10th, they did 322. So even with a stricter attendance rule, they did more people than they did in December. To me, that is a very good sign because that December number was, I believe, the highest of 2022. So they continue to trend upwards in Kyoto. Yeah, and that's maybe another argument about Kyoto uh, being dropped in the loop. It's a small venue that they, I don't remember them packing it recently in like 2019 you know so let me look at what they did the show before covid i was looking at these numbers yeah. earlier this week but i forgot so they did 586 
So it's on, not a big building. No, that was February 16th of 2020. Main event, Kai Kazi and Yamato versus Shimizu, Hulk, and Aita. That was Team Dragon Gate versus Team R.E.D. Looking to see if there's any oddities on this show that we can talk about. Jason Lee and Yuki Yoshioka versus Ho-Ho Luna, Martin Kirby. That looks like fun. And then just to get a reference, the the first show they ran in 2020, that did 630. And that feels that feels very crowded for this building. Yeah, so like 326 if you're running half capacity, then you're probably operating with like maybe 350, 370 at most. Like, I don't remember ever seeing a super no vacancy full house number for a KBS, ever. No, but just looking through the attendance numbers in 2019 in this building, that 600 plus that they ran in January of 2020, that's just a great number. That, that was a big weekend for Drangi when they can put 600 fans in this building. Yeah, so so that was just something I was wondering about that I wanted to ask you about there. Uh, overall, uh, I mean, as we were saying, just not a lot there to sink your teeth into. Some character stuff on the show overall. Uh, Kate, do you have any big picture thoughts about Kyoto? No, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on this show because, like you said, just not a lot to sink your teeth into. This was very similar to the Osaka show. I liked the opener. I liked the main event. Everything else was a little flat to me. Yep, and speaking of that opener, it was D-Courage versus the class of 2022, Ms. Mochizuki Jr., uh, Kaito Nagano, Yoshiki Kato, and it was Jr. going down to the battle hook, Crooked Lariat from Yuki Yoshioka in 9 minutes and 49 seconds. Okay, let's get the, the big spot here out of the way first before we talk about some things we liked. This was clearly set up for Yoshiki Kato to get Madoka Kakuta in the torture rack. And I say this both in jest and in all seriousness, Madoka Kakuta's ass was too big for Kato to lift him. Yeah, and it, it, it was something that uh, could have gone very wrong. Like, uh... Kakuta fell at one point off his shoulders. It just was not a good scene. Like landed and was like favoring his neck for a little bit. Going like that sucked. So, uh, yeah, Madoka Kakuta. He's got too much junk in the trunk to try to lift him up. I, again, this was such a big weekend for Kyoto because or for Kakuta rather because I thought he hung with everybody and was honestly the best person in that main event match in Osaka. And then he comes in here and it's so interesting to watch him in this environment because. I mean, just two years ago, Kakuta was the one in the spot of Nagano and in the spot of Kata. When we were raving about him then, you know, I specifically remember, and I'm going to try to find it here real quick, because early on in his career, he was having really fun chemistry with Shuji Kondo. And there specifically, this is the match that I, I don't think is on the Dragon Gate Network, which is super annoying, but Kobe Sambo Hall, August 15th of 2020, this is a smack dab pandemic times. It was Don Fuji, Naruki Doi, Shuji Kondo, and Susumi Yokosuka versus Kento Kabune, Madoka Kakuta, Sora Fujikawa, and Taketo Kamei. And that was really the match that I think you and I both broke down in detail of like, yo, these rookies aren't just good. This class of 2020 is special. And I believe the next day is when Sora Fujikawa got his jaw broken by Masaki Mochizuki and his yeah, career. I mean, yeah. It was, yeah, it was the, the next day. Fujikawa got kicked in the face. His career never recovered. He had to retire. But that is the match that I always point to as the real rocket pack for the class of 2020. And specifically us, I remember spending a lot of time on Kakuta going, 
is he Shingo? Is he Susumu? Is he some, you know, Mochizuki? What what is the comparison to this wrestler? It's funny to go two years in the future and to see him wrestle Shingo, and go, yeah, you know, I I think he's somewhere in the middle of Dragon Gate's next version of Susumu Mochizuki and Shingo Takagi, and that was very prevalent in this match. Yeah, no, the the Shingo has not uh, worn away from Kakuda, and it's really cool right now. To see, I I like Nagano a lot in this. Like him and Yoshioka, like went at it. Like Yoshioka lit him up, and it was really solid. Nagano is so good, and it, and it really struck me. I guess we can kind of knock out two birds with one stone here because the next night, and this match is on YouTube. He has a singles match with Isha, and it's probably the longest match of his career up to this point. That was a nine minute, almost ten minute singles match. And Nagano is just one of those guys, and it happens in Drangate, I think, more so than than other promotions. He just, he gets it. Like, Kaito Nagano doesn't really make mistakes ever, and he's only going to get better, but he worked a 10-minute singles match with Ishin. I don't think there were any glaring mistakes there. He works this super complicated Drangate six-man sprint with D-Courage, the top dogs in the promotion, and he's every bit as good as they are. He is just a really otherworldly professional wrestler. And it was something that it was during the Ishin match that struck me going, Ultimo, you couldn't have waited two years. You could well, not have waited two years. And in terms of making him a La Strea type wrestler. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, that's funny. I was thinking about this as I was doing some show prep today. We talked last week about how Estrella very publicly said he has no intention of going back to Japan this year, whereas I am waiting on the return of SB Kento and Takuma Fujiwara pretty much any day now. I mean, if you're Estrella, you have to, you know, flip on your Drangate network from the problematic MMA dojo or, you know, Torimon Casa in Mexico and go, oh, shit, this kid does everything I do but better. I mean... That's why you and I speculated that maybe La Australia just doesn't ever make his way back to Japan. He seems to enjoy the life that he's living in North America. He doesn't seem to want to return anytime soon. And quite frankly, he's been replaced by Kaito Nagano. Yeah, it's just something that like really is. It, it was the, the big spaceman tope during the Ishin match in Mie that I was like, oh, wow, you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait because he's just... For someone like this, and there there are some places where I really think that Nagano still has issues with, but for what the company wants for him, given that he's only five years or five months wrestling, he knocks it out of the park each time. Very much a Masato Yakashiji type wrestler, and I, I don't know of anybody that's come along in the last 25 years that reminds me of Yakashiji the way that Nagano does and coming from oh, yeah. people like you and I, that's incredibly high praise. One of the standouts of the golden era of Michinoku pro. Yeah. I mean the, 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 the one, if you're, if you're a wrestler who's somehow listening to the show this week and you are someone who does, you know, works in, in a Lucha or like based off of the modern indie style, Check out some Sade Yakashiji while you're like watching this day, like the same like Ray Mysterio Jr. stuff that everyone watches. Add in someone different. Add in Masato Yakashiji. 
Yeah, no, he's, I mean, you know, revolutionary babyface. Very few wrestlers on his level, and it certainly feels like Nagano was following in his path, which is great to see. That is, you know, I, I used to complain. It's it's less prevalent now just because I, I firmly believe this era of independent wrestler is watching zero professional wrestling. Yeah. I used to complain a few years ago that if only the American indie wrestlers of today would watch Michinoku Pro or Golden Era All Japan or just anything other than Attitude Era Raw's, I would I think wrestling, watch Continental. Yes. It, wrestling would be in a better place if people watched Continental and Golden Era Michinoku Pro and just stole all of that stuff. That is that is, you know what, Mike? That is why we love Drangi, because it's part Continental, part Michinoku Pro. Absolutely so. In case there's no match that best encapsulates that. Then the following match. Minorita versus Konamawa Ichikawa. Minorita won by verbal submission because Ichikawa decided to reverse the fortunes on Minorita and run all around KBS Hall. He got too tired when Minorita was like, all right, now you chase me. And he gave up five stars, no notes. Ichikawa wore running shoes in this match, and that makes it a five and a half star match. Just perfect. Perfect stuff. Exactly. Well, when I think of Minorita versus Konamawa Ichikawa in my mind's eye, you know, when I'm like trying to drift off to sleep, I'm thinking about Konamawa Chikawa possible matches case, as one does. Like I, I was so surprised that it took them this long to do this match because yes. I just I, if I if I had the proverbial pencil and I had these two guys on my roster, my first show I'd go like, so we're doing this right? Like, come on now, we're Minorita versus Chikawa. Of course we're doing that. They held off for an entire year of the Minorita character almost, which is super impressive. They held it off to use it in KBS all. As God intended. As God intended. I mean, the only place that would be like more appropriate somehow they were able to run a show in Chicken George again. One day, when you and I hit the lottery and we become the first actually good billionaires, we are going to build in your compound a life-size replica of Kobe Chicken George, and we will run a Toriyaman Drangit tribute show there. Yeah, but the, the, the thing about this venue, though, of course, is that it's going to basically... We're going to reenact the venue to be my exact backyard right now, Case, which you've seen photos of. It is approximately 50 square feet. That's the thing. I was going to say, I can I could recreate Kobe Chicken George in my apartment right now. It's about the size of the room that I'm sitting in. It's yep. not a big room at all. Nope, not at all. But gosh, uh, out of everything on this show, outside of the opener, and if you like the character work that it did in the main event, this is the thing to watch. It was that good. Yeah, we can get through these next matches pretty quick. Yeah, so we had everyone who's healthy and natural vibes. KZ, Shimizu, Jason Lee, Strong Machine J, Jackie Funky Kamei. Versus the unaffiliated bunch, uh, we had Ginky Horiguchi, Sachi, Punch Sumanaka, Hoho Loon, Ryu Fuda, Ryu Fuda, ate a running elbow smash in 1129. I continue to think Ryu Fuda looks good, even if he is painfully not over. Yeah, uh, this, I mean... Like the previous night, they did a little bit more of a jokey fan service. So you kind of bent on things. That's kind of what we had here. Fuda looked pretty good here. Uh, Rio Fuda had a fun weekend. I was glad to see Rio Fuda doing so well there. We we did get five-man dancing time during this match. Yes, we did. It was nice to see. Yep, it was nice to see. I don't know if it was nice to see uh, Susumu, Mochizuki, and Yuzushi Kanda versus Ultimo Dragon and Naruki Doi were... Dragon one with the world's most powerful law of my straw cradle eleven fifty, but it happened case. Believe it or not, you can skip this one if you haven't already seen it. Yep, yep. And then we had a special singles match uh, because of Diamante. Uh, they, they had to change up the cards for this, and it became a Kota Minora versus BB Hulk singles match. 
Kota Minora won with the R301 over Hulk in nine minutes and three seconds, who promptly then flipped out and told Ishan he better win the main event. So I was super intrigued by this match on paper because going back to 2020, going back to August of 2020, we were just talking about that era with Madoka Kakuta. This is when the Coach Minora push really started. And the thing that I made a note of and that Alan Forel made a note of was there is something going between BB Hulk and Coach Minora. You know, Hulk is not exactly Will Ospreay. He's not the most giving wrestler in the world. I, I don't recall a ton of times where I've left a BB Hulk match thinking, wow, BB Hulk made his opponent look great. But he and Minora had a very special chemistry when Minora was first getting pushed really hard, where they both brought out the best in each other, and Minora was getting clean falls over BB Hulk, and you and I both know, and, and anybody that pays attention to Dragon in terms of who was taking the falls, know that BB Hulk is still a very protected guy, so those wins were notable. So when I saw that this was the match they were going with, I got pretty excited because I thought, well, there's not a lot of BB Hulk singles matches I want to see, but I think this one with Minora could be interesting because there, there appears to be some sort of respect between these two guys. And Minora has been able to pull off, you know, good BB Hulk matches in the past. And then they had this match that I just, I thought sucked. There was no heat to this. This was, you know, this was a vocal crowd that acted like a clap crowd during this match. I thought it was painfully silent at times. Nothing really grabbed me. This was just nine minutes of boredom, in my opinion. Yeah, it happened. Um, the, this was really where you noticed, like, oh, this is supposed to be a noise crowd. And there were a couple of Minonora calls. There were a lot more Minonora calls in Osaka, but not that much. And it was nine minutes. And then Hulk ate the, the R301, taking a rare singles loss. Yeah, again, it's notable that BB Hulk takes a fall here, especially a singles pinfall, but I don't know. This did not do it for me. Again, I think Drangate intended for this weekend to be the one where we come away from it going, all right, Coach Minora is back. Well, we, you know, what, what do we got? Minora and Minorita in a Twin Gate match. We're going to do Gold Class Triangle Gate run. You know, what's what's coming up next for my guy? And I, I'm just not there at all. This was a stock drop weekend for me and Coach Minora. That's why I was stock dropping, saying he needs to go away for a little bit last week, Case. I, I, think, just... I, I think America would, would serve him well, but I, I had just assumed we had gotten to the point where he had done enough rehab to get past all that. I thought we were going to be in better shape, but that, that Diamante match at Final Gate really turned out to not be what we were getting at least at the start of the year. I'm, I'm very surprised by just how off I thought Minora was this weekend. No, I it, it, it was noticeable. And it's something to keep tabs on, especially seeing what comes out of tomorrow and Thursday. The main event was the High End and Associates versus Z Bratz three match series. This was a uh, the, this was where they usually I'm trying to think it was the match last year that they did this with the draw case, but where everyone comes out and they draw orders here. Uh, I'm just going to read through the results and we can talk about everything in total. Uh, first match was Yoshida versus Kai. Kai won with the authorized Ganosuke clutch in nine minutes. Problem Dragon defeated Hio with a headlock takeover in four minutes and 54 seconds. And then Dragon Ken pinned Ishin with the Ultra Hurricane Rana after a Hulk misfire. So High and Associates end the three match series and enter Kobe, uh, not Kobe, Cork and Hall on a little bit of a high as they walk into their execution. 
Give me your thoughts on this three-match series first here, just because you alluded to it earlier, maybe you being a little bit more into this than I was. I thought the work here was okay, but I thought that the story they told across this uh, 25-minute segment was excellent. I Yoshida and Kai, we do not ever need to see that rematch again, but they kept the pace up, and it worked pretty strong there. But then we got into actually where it was got really fun, at least for me. Uh, Problem Dragon and Hyo, I mean, five minutes. Uh, Hyo has one of the best single-leg drop kicks in wrestling. Like the seated one that he runs and he, he does, I think it looks tremendous case. Yeah, I like that, and this was such an interesting match. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't really too engaged by the in-ring, which I was hoping coming out of right. uh, you know, uh, Kai versus Yoshida that this one would have, would have been a little hotter, but it's the interesting thing with Hyo. He can beat anybody, and he can lose to anybody. I don't think any less of him in terms of his positioning on the card after losing to Problem Dragon, because he could very easily pin Yuki Yoshioka on the second Cork and Hall show this week, and it wouldn't surprise me. It's just this odd ability that he has, and I would imagine putting together these cards, it's the greatest blessing in, a wor- in the world, having Hyo just being able to do whatever you need him to do. Yeah, and it's something that, it just, it was something that you already had Yoshida deciding to, Try to start a crowd call shouting out uh, Problem Dragon's shoot first name, which was great too. I don't, uh, it, I don't know if anyone tweeted it or he picked up on that, but he was definitely shouting out his real name that they've only talked about briefly. Yeah, that's uh, very funny, very on brand for Hyo. Uh, uh, oh no, that that was Yoshida doing it on the outside. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Which yeah. I would say very on brand for Yoshida as well. Yeah, exactly. And then it just was a a quick little like. My favorite things in Dragon Gate this week are five-minute matches, Case. And it was just like a tight little number. And then Dragon Gate and Ishin, they have some chemistry there. Like, this was actually where you sat through 15 minutes to actually see a solid 12-minute Ishin and Dragon Kid match. Ishin looked awesome in control. The chemistry between there is very clear. They held off on the sleeves until this one last thing. And the closing stretch was excellent. Like, I wish that we get Dragon Kid and Ishin again in King of Gate. I think they have something. Yeah, it's why, and obviously this match took place in the new year, but it's why I felt the need to include Ishin on my personal FSM 50 list, because I just feel like we did a lot of this last year, where we go through some big names on the roster, and whenever they're wrestling Ishin, whether it was all caps or it was Ishin and Hashi, we kind of have to stop down and go, hey, you know, Ishin was really good in that match, and, and this match with Dragon Kid was no different, I think, and I enjoyed this for what it was, I think I would have enjoyed it even a little bit more had it not proceeded you know, technically three kind of lousy singles matches. The Minora Hulk match took the wind out of my sails, and then I had to watch Yoshida versus Kai, which wasn't much better. So it, it took a long time watching this show in one sitting to get to this match. I think on a hotter show with a bit of a hotter crowd, this comes across even better than it did. But even as it stands, I think this is worth watching. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's it, it's one of those things that you can't really rate things like this because everything flows into each other. It's kind of, you kind of treat it like one match, but if you take Dragon Kid and Nishin, you put it in a better building, that's a notebook match. Yes, completely. Yeah, like it was that good. It's just the circumstances with, with Kyoto case, but that does it for the their first week back. They're going to be back this week. Uh, we're about to talk about Cork and Hall, which you'll probably will see before you hear this, but case any... Last thoughts about Dragon Gate's first weekend of 2023? 
very relaxed, very much a down tempo weekend. I don't I don't have any long term reservations, but certainly not one where I'm going to yell at you to run to your Drang network and watch this, this and this. But perhaps these Cork and Hall shows will be different. Yeah, so we do not have the card for the 12th on Thursday. Yet. It'll probably come out right after the show goes off air tomorrow. I'm going to run down the card case and then we can get your thoughts, please. All right. The opener, Natural Vibes versus Unaffiliated. Strong Machine J, Jason Lee, and Jackie Funky Kamei versus Naruki Doi and Eita, along with Punch Tamanaga. See if Eita finally gets a partner out of Doi. Uh, singles match, Shimizu versus Nagano. Eight-man tag, Tyre M3K versus Ultimo, Ginki, Kanichiro Arai, and Komao Ichikawa. Match four, Yoshiki Kato teams with KZ versus Don Fuji and Shuji Kondo. Semi-main event, Gold Class versus uh d courage and then the high end alliance versus z brats losing unit disbands all out war all available units of both sides will participate match format to be decided okay a lot of things here that catch my eye let's start at the the bottom of the card and work our way up to the main event obviously match one looks like a lot of fun if you just accept that punch tamanaga is going to be there and take the fall Match number two, Mike, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think Kaito Nagano is reversing a shot push slam and rolling up Big Boss Shimizu for a win here. You know, I was not on board with your Class of 2022 versus Big Time match. But headlock takeovers are a thing, and I could see Kaito Nagano. Like, it's Shimizu too. Shimizu's been known to be prone to eat a flashback. Yes, you've got Shimizu Nagano here, and then you've got KZ teaming with Kato later on in the show. And maybe maybe this isn't one that we have to wait until Champion Gate. Maybe this is a February Cork and Challenge, because as we've seen, they've loaded up these last few Cork and Hall shows with big title matches, which is greatly appreciated. This could be one of those that happens in February. I, I don't remember the date of Memorial Gate this year. Maybe this is a Memorial Gate match. I feel like this match is coming, and I feel like they're setting it up on this show. It, it, it's starting to feel like it. It's starting to feel like it. You've managed to talk me into it in the period of like 30 minutes, man. I'm very, I'm very convincing. Now, luckily, match number three, there's nothing there. M3K versus a bunch of other old guys. But then we get into KZ and Kanto versus Fuji and Kondo. And I, this could very easily be the match of the night. Yeah, there's just so much meanness, so little time. Yoshiki Kato and Suji Kondo should be... In another lifetime, they would be friends. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, but this is not that lifetime. No, this is not that lifetime. And Don Fuji hasn't had a friend under the age of 40 since he was like 40. So, you know, it's going to be a rough night for Kato. We'll, we'll see how much really of a problem he really is. This, I, I, I think this is not a full-on gut check, but for him, this will be a gut check. It'll be interesting because I always talk about how Shuji Kondo is sneaky good and nobody really pays attention to it. And, you know, this is, it, it's funny. We talk about this, you know, this deal with KZ where he had a great 2022, but he felt like a background player. And this was another one, one of those matches. This could very easily be notebook and KZ could be the fourth most important guy in a tag team match. He, he could once again fall by the wayside just because of the guys that he surrounds himself with. But I am I just ecstatic for this match. Yeah, uh, semi-main event, I mean, you got these six guys out there, you know, just look at the guys. 
all the boys are out there. You, you have our good boys, you have our little boys, you have our crazy boys, and we have our boy that disappears. Very much so. And then, we, I, I don't really have much to add to the disbands match, uh, other than everyone keep in mind here, uh, heal units are whatever the number is, minus two and two in disbands matches. So uh, get your eulogies ready for high end. Yeah, I I hope to God that this is the end of high end. I, you know, assuming they lose, we'll do a bigger eulogy next week and kind of go from the start to the finish of, of a unit that has never, has never felt quite right. At times, I think an active deterrent in this promotion, they've really turned it around ever since shedding the weight of Ben K and shedding the weight of Akuda, they, they've become a very tolerable unit because it's kind of just been Yamato and Dragon Kid and friends. And that's been very easy to watch. It's interesting looking at Dragon Kid's recent history. He's in the over, over generation disbands matches and the Toriumon versus RED disbands match. And now he's here. I expect him to be a big part of this. It's just interesting the way that his career, he's been in some stinker units, and yet he never seems to suffer for it. Yeah, you know, like, that's something I didn't really think about before. I mean, he somehow avoided die hearts, which I know we're divergent on, but don't want to be in a babyface unit with Yamato. That's what I'll say. No, that's normally a recipe for disaster. So what what I'm going to be curious about is if this match is elimination rules which i'm assuming it will be who's gonna get the pin on yamato is this a deal where they start some sort of ishin versus yamato program i hope they don't go back to kai here i i I don't want to see kai pin yamato it could just be as simple as as shun pinning yamato but i I, assuming it's an elimination match i think shun's gonna get pinned by you know yoshida or problem dragon and some sort of tomfoolery and they'll they'll get him out of the way early and protect him for the next night there's a lot of different things they could do with this match it's going to be very interesting to see how they get to the finish but the finish seems to be decided and that high end is going to lose yeah and of course there's also hulk so yeah that's that's not that's not the direction i would go i i the, the, the things that you have to watch in this match, how are they going to get Shun Skywalker out of this? And are they going to continue the dissension of BB Hulk here? That, that could very easily be it, is that Hulk, you know, friendly fire Shun Skywalker and Problem Dragon rolls him up and all of a sudden Shun Skywalker's out of the match early. And, you know, the, the final moments come down to, you know, Hyo and Hamada and Yamato or Kai and Yamato. We'll, we'll see what happens there. I would hope it's Ichin, but I think realistically it'll, it'll go back down to Kai and Yamato. No, I'm with you with that. Uh, and then also on the 12th, uh, that that is the Dreamgate match between Shun Skywalker and Yuki Yoshioka. So as you were saying, how to get him out of that, that's all we know about the, the show on the 12th. Uh, I, I do agree with your points you said about things to keep an eye on with this Corkin show or this match. Mike, I think Shun Skywalker is winning the Dreamgate title this week. All right. The, lay out your argument for Shun defeating Yuki Yoshioka. We've talked on the show about how Yoshioka's running out of former Dreamgate champions to wrestle, former Dreamgate champions to wrestle. You know, Doi is really the only one that's left before you get into, like, Don Fuji and Ryo Saito and Susumu Mochizuki, who can obviously handle that spot, but he's been so de-emphasized over the last year, I don't see them doing that. 
especially less than a year removed from what felt like his final Dreamgate shot. I just think there's a lot more mileage you can get out of Shun winning this match. You can start anew here, and as the year continues, I expect the story to be Shun versus SBK or Shun versus Fujiwara or something like that. I, I, I don't have all the details figured out in my head, but I think for as great as the Yoshioka story has been, I think we've seen the Yoshioka story run its course. And the issue is that if he gets through this and let's just say for fun that he wrestles Doi in March at Champion Gate, he's always going to beat Doi. Where do you go from there? The more I've sat with this, the, the more that I play out possible scenarios. If Yoshioka wins this, I think he is at least going to be in contention to beat Shima's Dreamgate defense record. I I don't see that being the plan here, though. I think they're going to get the belt off of him, and I think we're going to see Heelshu and Skywalkers or Dreamgate champion as we talk about the uh, these shows next week. Well, I am not sold, but I am a little bit more doubt. Uh, the I, reason... I think it's like it's like sixty forty Yoshioka. I think he's the favorite, but. I I don't expect him to waltz through this match. I mean, if Shun wins, again, it's kind of what I think is going to happen. But it's it, I'm not going to be surprised if I'm right. Let's put it that way. Like, I think there's a very realistic chance he's going to come out the winner. Yeah, I, I guess you. My, my big counter to that is you don't do this ace solidifying ring and cut it off in his first offense in a new year in a building like this. <laughs> It's tough because they've already done so much for him. I mean, as we've talked about, every house across the board is up with Yoshioka as the champion. All of their markets are in better shape than they were than, you know, when Kai or when Yamato was champion in 2021, 2022. I, I think he's done his job. I think there's a Yuki Yoshioka run a year from now, two years from now, five years from now where he's going to rattle off 10, 11 defenses, and maybe he hits 15. Maybe he's champion for two years. I, I don't think that's out of the question. I think if there's going to be a guy to do it, it's either going to be him or it's going to be Takuma Fujiwara. But I think this story has been told. I, I, I think it's going to be a little bit weird if he runs through all of these available Dreamgate champions, and then it's, you know, all of a sudden it's just him versus Mochizuki Jr., or him versus Ishin, or him versus Dragon Kid. I think we've seen the end of this story, and for as much as I've enjoyed it, if we're going to move on, I think moving on to Shun is going to be the right decision. Yeah, I will say that if this is an exit ramp, Shun makes more sense than anyone else other than Benkei last month. Yeah, like, and you, you got to remember, you know, the specific history between Shun and Yoshioka, which doesn't seem to have been played up too much in the build of this, but... These are the two guys that spent time in Mexico together. This is the guy that Shun insisted wasn't Dia Inferno because they spent time in Mexico together. This is the guy that Shun helped turn babyface when Shun turned his back on Dragon Dia. This isn't a random defense of heel challenger beating babyface champion. These are chapters in a much larger story between these two guys overall. Yeah, and that also makes me think that they can revisit this on a bigger stage. 100%. Again, I was stunned that they booked this for Corrigan Hall. It really, it's what put my antennas up was, you know, we haven't really talked about attendance here. 
I'm assuming that the show on Wednesday that'll be done by the time everybody hears this, I'm assuming that's going to do around 1,100 fans. I would hope, and maybe I'll be proven incorrect, but I would hope that Shun versus Yoshioka does 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 fans really in that 1,300 to 1,400 ballpark. That's a big match. I mean, that that could have headlined Gate of Destiny, Dangerous Gate, Dead or Alive. Could have been a Kobe World main event, quite frankly, and they're doing it in Cork and Hall, which I think is very, very interesting. Yeah, and the way it's been built and everything. The uh, like, I do see your argument. I, I, I think I'm just going to become the Yuki Oshioka defender from now on. Yeah, I, just, I, I look. I if he if he beats Shun, great because this title run has been awesome, and I expect it to continue to be. But I think this is the end. I I, I think we have seen this Yuki Yoshioka run play out. The way the Dragon Gate calendar works, it is so hard for me to. I just, I go Kobe to Kobe because it, in my head, it's like, well, they'll, they'll win the match here, here, and here, and then all of a sudden they're one year as champion. And that is just harder to get to than I think I I let it play out in my head sometimes. Realistically, again, he's either going to hold this belt for like two years or he's going to lose it here. And I really lean in favor of him losing it here. Yeah. Uh, he, he's uh, under 30. They, they, they can yeah. do the big all caps, big Yuki Yoshioka title reign another time, because assuming this match doesn't fall flat and, you know, something would have to go catastrophically wrong for it to do so. By the time Yoshioka challenges for the Dreamgate belt again, I think people are going to be salivating for him to be champion because he's been so good in this first run. To me, there's no reason that people wouldn't want to see that again. Yeah. And it's something that like that, that there's enough time and you have some folks who probably need to get that solidifying that I just, I, I, I guess the other thing about that, about Shun as champion coming out of Thursday is they don't like going heel face heel that often. They like to space out the heel runs a little bit more. I feel like. Yeah. So it was what, so it was Kai Yoshi, but doesn't that Kai run that just feel, I mean, I know that was last year, but doesn't that feel like ages ago? Yeah, it does. But I mean, at the same time, Shun Skywalker's out run feels ages ago. And then Ata before that. So what we're talking about, so Ata to Kai, that's two years. I think, I just think six months later is not it. Okay. So let me walk you through my nightmare scenario because okay. I think part of what made Drangate in 2022 so enjoyable for me was that the Dreamgate scene, everything from March onwards with Shimizu versus Kai. Look, the Menorah thing sucked, but the matches were good. The, the, the Dreamgate scene was far more enjoyable than it was in most years during, you know, a sluggish Yamato run or whatever. Is there a situation that we find ourselves in where Shun wins the belt, BB Hulk gets kicked out of Zebrats, and we're doing Shun versus BB Hulk at Champion Gate? I just that would Hulk. suck. Yeah, like I and just... I and I was kind of into Yamato versus Hulk, but we've seen. A, you know, that show did not have a super strong number at the box office. And then the the Hulk, I forget, I think it was the second day of the King of Gate tour in Hokkaido, his hometown. 
that number was much lower than the KZ matches. It's clear that Hulk's time at the box office is not now. Yeah, like, like I just... I just can't see, like, the rationale behind that would, it. That would suck. I don't want that, but... You know, it seems, unless there's some weird swerve coming on, it seems like Hulk's days and Zebrats are numbered, which at that point you would hope that he's cycled down to team with Don Fuji and Shuji Kondo, and maybe he and Ata do a little thing together, and I, I think that would be okay. But they're going to have to do something with him and Zebrats, and, you know, I again, I, I hope they don't go back to the Kai thing. I don't, I don't really want more Kai versus Hulk in my life, and that kind of leaves it with hulk versus shun if they go down that that avenue yeah i i just i i i just think like almost any result that like a heel shun title run you're gonna have to probably clue in like okay how did that match the night before ended and they are going heavily towards hulk dissension and we do not need babyface hulk right now <laughs> especially babyface title challenger hulk yeah that's i'm I'm okay with babyface hulk i'm not okay with challenging for a Dreamgate title babyface hulk there's a, a huge difference there to me yeah no i'm totally with you on that and i'm just like i just like look at hulk and if it wasn't for the fact that he was in zebrats and he was in this role i just see him kind of with the veteran unaffiliateds at this point and i just can't put myself through the hoop to think about like Hulk turn Shun win then Hulk versus Shun at Champion Gate that might be a bit too far. Hulk is over forty years old now, so his days seem to be numbered. He he is over forty years old. He moves around like somebody that's over fifty. This feels like it could be a swan song of sorts for him. The Yamato match symbolically and physically felt like it should be his final Dreamgate match. I just don't think we can ignore that possibility come the first weekend of March. Yeah, now my antenna is up after net, after we're, we're talking about this. Uh, okay, so I don't think we have anything else really to, to go over tonight. Do you have anything else you want to hit on before we're out of here? That'll be it. Mike will have the written review of the Wednesday Corgan Hall show over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. I will have the Thursday show with Shun versus Yoshioka, and I look forward to talking to people next week. Yeah, we're going to have a big show next week. But the best way to, to follow us is on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Uh, if you like the show, please go to wherever you get your podcast, specifically Apple Podcast app, and rate five stars. That's the best way for people to find the show. Cases at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week talking about this cork and doubleheader. Take care, everyone. Hello Voices of Wrestling listener, Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.